Hello and welcome to the Emerald Podcast Network. I'm Sean Meadow, and on today's Oregon Women's Basketball Podcast, I'm joined by a full house. Sierra Webster. Hey. Maggie Vanoni. Hello. And Bryce Stoll. Hey, thanks for having me. And producing it, just to my left, Ryan Nguyen. Once again, I'm Sean Meadow, Associate Sports Editor at the Daily Emerald. Check out dailyemerald.com for all our coverage of the Oregon women's basketball team as the number seven Ducks head to the NCAA tournament next week. We'll have selections Monday, not Sunday, selection Monday coverage for you when we find out where this team goes. We're expecting Eugene. Right now, number two seed and uh, Charlie Cream's ESPN Bracketology, but we'll get to that later. The Ducks in the Pac-12 tournament made it all the way to the championship game for the second year straight played Stanford, but this time the result going in favor of the Cardinal. Oregon had beaten Stanford on its home court for the first time since 1987 by 40 points nonetheless. The biggest loss, Tara Vanderveer, the head coach at Stanford, has ever suffered on the home court for the Cardinal. Oregon gets beat in Vegas, the MGM Grand Arena, by that same Stanford team. But Oregon looked a little different in this game. Stanford looked a little different as well. But the big story, I think, for Oregon, or the big game of that tournament, might have been that semifinal. Oregon getting revenge and avenging that loss to UCLA, an overtime win for the Ducks. Let's just... uh, And then obviously Oregon had beat... Arizona to get to that point in a pretty forgettable game <laughs> in many ways. Oregon didn't really play that well in that game against Arizona, but they still got that win. They just outclassed the Wildcats. I'm, I'm sure we all agree on that one. But let's talk a little bit about that championship game, and if we want to talk a little bit more about UCLA, we can as well, but just overall impressions. That game, obviously, a lot different than when Oregon played at Stanford. And I had the the away coverage for the Stanford game earlier this year, and the way that uh, particularly the post uh, defense of Oregon shut down Alana Smith uh, was just completely different than uh, what we saw what what was seen um, uh, over this last weekend. Um, that was just uh, kind of my take on it. What do you guys think? I mean, obviously Smith was huge defensively, offensively. Just dominant. I, I think Sports Center actually put her block on Morgan Yeager, who tried to hit a three-pointer at the end of the first half, was it? Yeah, the end of the second quarter. Tried to hit a corner three, and she swatted that one away. It was it was in Sports Center's top ten, which is pretty cool to see a defensive play actually make it into that um, into that show. So uh, anyway, I don't know. I think I think Oregon had a lot to take away from that game, but it's. It's interesting to see how this team is going to respond to that loss and when it plays against another top opponent. Obviously, Oregon was six, Stanford was seven, and Switched. now it's a switch. I think one thing that stood out to me was um, Oregon's three-point shooting in that Stanford game. They made just one of nine attempted three-pointers in the first half, um, which I think is pretty significant for this team, shooting only 11%. Um, and so I think that's a big thing to me that was missing um, against Stanford. Big time. I think Sabrina Ionescu scored 36 points in the championship game the 20s. year before. Oh, okay. And then just 26? 27. Or 27. That's right, in the, the championship this season. So it's not like she had this huge drop-off of a game. Right. So this Oregon team, did it? 
did it play badly? Would you say that this was a bad performance from Oregon? Or was this just Stanford playing better than Oregon? I think in watching it, I feel like Oregon didn't have their typical like fire. Their, it just seemed like Stanford clearly wanted it more and came out with with more of a willingness to fight for it. And it felt like Oregon was just... I mean, even just looking at the score, Oregon was just chasing the whole time and was was on their heels and was trying to like catch up or recuperate. And it just felt like Stanford came out looking more like a championship team. But not to say that Oregon um, like played super poorly, but I think like, I mean, Sobley has five points in that game. Averaging 17 points on the season, that's relatively a low scoring game for her. I think something that stuck out to me was bench production, or I guess the lack thereof. No points from Jaeger, Giomi, or Gildan. Taylor Chavez sized hole right there. And I know we wanted to talk about that a little bit, but the register guard reporting that Chavez is optimistic about returning in time for the NCAA tournament. Not sure if that means she'll be there for the first round, second round, third round, fourth round, or possibly the final four, but... She's she's looking to try and get back to the court. Did not play. Suffered a foot injury. A fractured foot. And uh, she's been out since. So, missing the Arizona games. And then missing the Pac-12 tournament. And Oregon has missed her dearly. And it's one of those players where you didn't really think that she played that big of a role. But she really does. Because there is a drop-off in shooting. And that's not to fault Morgan Yeager, Lydia Giomi, or Audie Gilden in any way. They just That's just not what they both, or any of them, provide. Between the three of them, there was one shot attempt in that championship game. And that was taken by Morgan Yeager. So when you're Stanford defending, you know that you're going to get something like 25 shots from Ionescu. She put up 26. You're going to get something like a dozen from Sabali. Probably 10 from Hebert. And Hebert shot 4 of 10. Not a huge shooting performance from some... I mean, if she hits two more of those, this game is right there. I think especially looking at her performances in the first two games in the tournament, she scored 20-plus points both of those games, and then to have a 13-point performance, which isn't isn't bad, bad. but for, for Hebert in a Pac-12 championship game, it's a little surprising. It's crazy that 40% shooting is a poor performance for Right. I mean, 70% a, on the season, though. I mean, that's... Exactly. Yeah. That's, so that's why it is. A, it is because yeah. her standards are so high, and yeah. we hold her to that standard mm-hmm. when we cover this team. But that's, I think, understandable at this point. I mean, I think we also have to talk about Stanford's defense um, holding Oregon to their mm-hmm. lowest scoring half of the, I think it was the season, mm-hmm. um, of 24 points. And so, I mean, yeah, the the bench players didn't score a lot. Sobley didn't score a lot. Hebert didn't score a lot. All of those are pieces. But I think I think what explains it to some extent is that Stanford defense. Yeah, just 24 at halftime for those keeping track at home. But Oregon offense just fell off. But it was the defense from Stanford that stepped it up big time. And against UCLA, it was a similar situation, I think, where Oregon had some moments where the offense just wasn't hitting. But Oregon ended up coming out with that win. It was that scrappy, get-that-win type of feel to it, I think, that they had. And that's something you're going to have to have in a Sweet 16 or Elite 8. Do you guys think maybe the whole Stanford, not trying to go back on that, but also trying to go back on that a little bit, like at that point, both teams had played three games in a row. 
you know, and obviously they each had different competition. Oregon had the early game Saturday night. Stanford had the later game. Stanford blew out, um, which, who was it? Uh, Washington. 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 semifinal. Yes, yeah. yes. Stanford blew them out from the beginning. You know, Washington was an 11 seed. The Cinderella story that didn't go far. <laughs> oh, don't use Cinderella stories. <laughs> oh, sorry, Lori. <laughs> Lori Shantz, journalism professor sorry. at the UO. Um, <laughs> Shout out to her in this one. <laughs> um, but you know what? You, you know, with dropping, dropping, seeing but Oregon. Stanford also played three games no, too. No, 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 right? no. Yeah. I'm just making the point of that, you know, having those three games back to back to back, you know, and they weren't easy games for Oregon. You know, yes, they did beat Arizona. And like we said, we probably won't talk about that because, you know, it was a win. It was a pretty normal win in there. Whatever. It was a win. Um, but then having that, like, super long, intense game Saturday night and then playing not at all to their standard Sunday. Like, how do you guys think, obviously, when you play NCAA games, you're not playing three. You're not going to play. Ever, you're not ever going to play three games in a row. You'll play two games in a row or you'll take a couple you'll days have off. have a day break. A day break. Right. There's, no, there's no back-to-back days. Played. Yeah. So you, okay. So you have day breaks. Like, this is the most that Oregon has played, right? Straight? Yeah, this is the only time that you're going to play it like this, and it mm-hmm. comes at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. So that is tough. Mm-hmm. I agree. Mm-hmm. Stanford, though, same number of players played in this championship game as Oregon did. So I would love to be able to say that that's the excuse that Oregon could use. But to me, there is that, that, isn't, that isn't a good enough excuse. No, I agree, yeah. And... I would love to say that because it is a small team, and we've been talking about that all, all year. And I think that's a great excuse. But the bench had zero points. That to me, and no player from the bench played more than ten minutes. So Oregon's putting up tons of minutes, like you said. They're tired, and you could see it, absolutely evident. But they're still losing this game. And last year, similar situation, they went on to win it. So, a little different. Obviously, the bench was quite stacked for Oregon last season compared to now. But it's a different story when Stanford's bench is able to get 14 minutes, 27 minutes, and 10 minutes. Oregon had bench players play 9, 2, and 7. It's just not enough. And then you kind of hope that if you're Oregon, you're hoping you get Taylor back for those weekends because, or for, for the upcoming weekends of an NCAA. Do you, though? Or do you want to wait for her in the Sweet 16? Do you want to rush her back? You know how like Ruthie Hebert, yeah. this was like a question we had posed was, do you want to rush her back or do you want to wait for the Pac-12 tournament? Did Oregon rush her back because they lost to UCLA? Did they need her against USC? Probably. Did they need her against the Arizona schools? Maybe. But they definitely needed her in this Pac-12 tournament. She's exhausted by the end of the tournament, right? As anyone would be. But she's coming back from an injury. Granted, you know, we don't know the, sev- the severity of Ruthie's injury compared to Taylor's, you know, well, we it don't... was it was just like what do they call it? a bone bruise? It was on a her bone knee. bruise, exactly. And we saw Taylor was in Vegas on a scooter, you know, booted, crutched, not dressed down at all. She was not there. Um, but you know, and my take is Orla was playing with the flu. That's right, she played with the flu. Very untold story. She still manages to play forty minutes in the in the back to championship game after playing forty five in the yeah. semifinal absurd that's called senior leadership right there (laughs) folks i don't know this team it's a questionable moment right now where you go into the ncaa tournament with a lot of question marks around them now Mm -hmm. after i would say a month ago you're just thinking oh boy this team might not be stopped this team might not be after that stanford win by 40 
I predicted on this podcast they would sweep that weekend against Oregon State. Of course, didn't foresee the injury to Ruthie Hebert, which I think did have an effect. She wasn't playing great before that, but you never know what happens in the second half. You never know if she's healthy. So I think it's just interesting. Yeah, it is interesting to consider what happens to this team when it loses or when one player is not playing as well as uh, as the others um when ruthie when ruthie was out it seemed that there was like a certain kind of flow about the team that was missing uh one thing that maggie and i uh covered earlier in the year was this Mississippi State game where um, the entire game looked extremely fluid in their way to move around post players of Mississippi State. When uh, when Ruthie was out uh, at the UCLA game weeks ago, um, that fluidity, that pick and roll fluidity was missing. Um, and that really has kind of translated at least a little bit into the Pac-12 tournament. Uh, at the UCLA game uh, in the semifinals, Ruthie was getting some pretty decent activity around the post play. Um, that was the focus of my article that I wrote um, in the Stanford game uh, that it it seemed that there were some moments where the offense kind of seemed to stick, where they had to continue to shoot and shoot and try and make up for time, but they just were missing. So that something was missing, you know. Um, it's almost as if there's like a kind of depth that is missing. And that was kind of my takeaway from the Stanford game, at least in that position. I think that's a good point to transition from. So Pac-12 tournament to the NCAA tournament. ESPN's bracketology. Let's dive in. Charlie Cream says Portland Regional for Oregon at the number two seed. Number one is going to be Mississippi State. Number three, Miami. Number four, Iowa State. That rest of that quadrant contains Michigan State, which beat Oregon in non-conference play. California, Kelly Graves Old School, Gonzaga, as well as Drake, and Idaho would be Oregon's opponent. Then the Ducks would play either Drake or Indiana. Then it would be Miami, most likely, as the three seed, and then off to the Elite Eight, where they would most likely play Mississippi State. So I think this is favorable. Unless there are upsets. Yeah. Which which have happened. And do happen frequently. As we saw in Pac-12. Last year, much less. I mean, Oregon, two years ago, 10 seed, all the way to the Elite Eight. So, it's totally possible. But, I would say that this is possibly one of the more straightforward corners. However, I think Oregon got lucky with this if this is the actual draw. They avoid Baylor, they avoid Notre Dame, and they avoid UConn. That's not too bad. They also avoid South Carolina and Louisville. They only really have to worry about a team that they've already beat, Mississippi State. Miami is a good team that has beat Notre Dame and Louisville this season. It makes a really interesting corner, I think, something to keep an eye on. And that would be played in Portland. So Oregon's going to possibly have this home court feel to it as a two seed. If this is obviously, this could be totally different Monday. I mean... It could be Chicago, it could be Greensboro, it could be Albany, and it could be a to- or it could be Portland with a totally different group of teams. But if this is the case, and Mississippi State is who Oregon would play in an Elite Eight, I would take Oregon. 
They've already played them, and they've already beat them. And if they have Taylor Chavez back, Ruthie Hebert at full strength, Maite Cazorla not with the flu, and Sabrina Ionescu shooting well, and Satu Sabali back playing better. I mean, her three-point shooting, I think, has just been awful recently. Yeah. And Aaron Boley, if she can play well, this team could absolutely beat Mississippi State. And especially, it would be a home court feel at Moda Center. Yeah, I think if the game uh, against Mississippi State goes any bit like what Maggie and I saw earlier this year, just in terms of how the team works together, um, in terms of... Uh, getting on a roll in terms of like being able to get uh, the ball out to players on the perimeter. I think uh, I can't see this game going any differently than it did earlier this year. Um, that being said, if there is any bit of weakness in the post play of Oregon, um, which uh, maybe there could be with uh, some with the fact that Ruthie has been out uh, for like the for the past couple of weeks. Um, uh, if there's any weakness in the post play, then, you know, uh, Mississippi State's Tierra McCowan could really take advantage of that. I mean, she's had a pretty stellar year and she definitely could be the biggest threat against this um, Oregon post play. Um, but as Maggie and I saw, um, Oregon really kind of had planned for that. You know, they had really analyzed Mississippi State. They knew how to attack the post play of Mississippi State through pick and roll opportunities. Um, and I think if they can continue to exploit that and continue to use their speed, the speed particularly of my take Zorla, in order to move around Mississippi State's players, then um, we could see a similar outcome to um, earlier this year. Um, I don't know, Bryce. I, I agree with you. I think that, you know, if Oregon has you know, a very healthy, be- very healthy bench, very healthy starters, you know, and they, they take this, this, uh, this week off just to strengthen everything they did, strengthen everything they had week on Sunday. Um, you'd hope that it would be the same outcome that they did, they had in, in during winter, but they've also seen Oregon go through such turmoil this season. We saw them go through, you know, dropping that Civil War OSU, having Ruthie out for two, one and a half games, um, and then having Taylor out now, and you know, you they have had those drops. So it's it's a matter of now if they can come back, if they can muster um that same mentality they had going into Mississippi State in December, late December. Like is that motivation, is that drive still there and is that is that full capacity? Is it sure. at full capacity mm-hmm. as it was in December as it is now? Well I think I think depth comes into question here a lot because one thing with the Mississippi State game earlier this year was that they were really able to um uh, exhaust Mississippi State. Same thing with the UCLA game. By having strong uh, post play, especially, and continuing to fight in these really, at times, even chippy and brutal games, they were able to outlast UCLA and Mississippi State. So if, you know, uh, longevity and depth come into play here with, like, uh, you know, what we're talking about with Ruthie and Taylor, that could really be a big question against a team like Mississippi State, you know, a really resilient team, one of the best rebounding teams in the country. Um, arguably the be- the best rebounding team in the country. Um, they have been over the last couple of years. Anyways, that could really come into question here is exactly how resilient can Oregon be. The UCLA game on uh, on Saturday was a brutal game. That was an exhausting, that was an exhausting game to watch. Um, I mean, it was action packed. It was it was uh, it was grueling. It was it was the the kind of play that um, Oregon was really able to take advantage of and um, continue to like, uh, you know, be be resilient. 
yes. Um, and but that came into play with the Stanford game. You know, they didn't have the same bark and bite that they did against UCLA. And you know, if depth is the question here against a team like Mississippi State, a very tough SEC team, like that, you know, that could be the deal breaker. It very well could. I think when you watch this Oregon team play with a chip on its shoulder, that's where you see the best Oregon Ducks team. And this team now has one in the form of losing the Pac-12 tournament. That's that's its chip. Get further than Stanford. Show the country that the regular season champs are better than that tournament champ. Here is why. And that is by getting further. So that brings me to the final point that we're going to dive into here in this podcast. What makes this season a success? Is it a Final Four run? Is it Final Four or bust? I know people have said that throughout the season. People have said that last year when they went to the Elite Eight and it was, oh, well, it's even stronger this year, so now it has to be further. But is it this time? Is that actually it? Because Elite Eight three years in a row looks like you get to, and Bryce is a big marathon guy, so mile 18 when you hit that wall and you keep hitting that wall, but you just can't get past it, can they finish that? Can they get to that point where they are getting past that that hurdle, where they're getting to the Final Four, finally, to the, to the promised land? Could they actually do it? And not even just that, but is that the only way that that we can sit here and market that team as a successful season? Or is it already a success? Because last year was, if they get Elite Eight this year, I would say last year was more successful. Pac-12 tournament champs, regular season champs, Elite Eight run, and a heartbreaker against the eventual national champs. Doesn't get much better than that if you're not making the Final Four. So for me, last year is what we might see as the pinnacle for this team. Or at least the remnants of that first Final Four, or Elite Eight team. I don't know. For me, Final Four. That is a success to the season. Because it goes past the last two. It puts UNESCO in a position where she has to decide if she's going to the draft. It puts players in a position where they're playing on the biggest stage. I know everyone always says, oh, national TV, the biggest. It's like, it's the biggest stage on the West Coast. This game's tipping at eight. People are asleep on that East Coast. People don't know this Oregon team as well as it could. And by getting to that Final Four, people will. That, to me, Final Four. Anything less, not a success. I... I hmm. All have this, opinions. Th- we, do, we do. We all have opinions, and I'm... Uh, I'm, I'm going to come out and say the same. Yeah. Yeah, I do think it is Final Four or bust at this point. Um, because you just you just have an Oregon team with with another year under its legs, you know? Like, you've got, you've got a lot of the same... Uh, almost all the same starters. Um, you've got improvements all across the board that coaches have been telling us about you know uh uh, coach graves uh told me at practice that satu sabli's uh ability off the glass and her more aggressive play has done a lot for the team defensively both defensively and offensively um uh i mean we've seen what else have we seen i mean we with the addition of Aaron bully 
you know think about think about Aaron what Aaron has brought to this team in terms of being just a lights out three point shooter literally lights out she closes her eyes when she shoots she the had ball. to replace the um, best three point shooter in program history Lexi Banda true true but uh you you still have to look at the who who's come back who who's returned over years now of playing together um in in Sabrina Ruthie and Maite specifically um i would say yeah, with uh, with with the way things have gone, and with the success that they've had all season long as well. I mean, it, it's building up to the point where um, I think it would it should be Final Four or bust. But that's me. Uh, the thing I'm thinking about is if they don't make it to the Final Four this year, when do they? I mean, if they if they lose Kazorla, and the chance that Yanescu goes to the WNBA, they're losing their sixth man. I mean, they have good recruits coming in, but they're freshmen and. There's that there's that transition period for freshmen every year, um, and so what does this team look like next year? Not to say that they won't be a threat, but if they can't make it to the final four with this group of women, I mean, when do they make it to the final four? When those freshmen that come in next year like get to their sophomore, maybe junior year, maybe. like could so they do it? So two and three years. Yeah. I mean, I feel like this is like this is the, the golden chance. opportunity. Um, yeah. I kind of half agree with all of you guys. I, I mean, I, I think the final four bus is very accurate and very. You know, there's been so much hype this whole season with this team, this program that final four would just be the icing on the cake. It would literally seal a deal to this program, and it's their, their desire to have this kind of attention on them. Um, but I think it's already been a successful season. I think you look at attendance, and I think you see. It's just it's yes. Last year they brought yeah so much more attention. Last year they were having crowds at games. I mean you look at pictures during Maite and Audie's first years, and there was no one in those stands. There was probably what a couple hundred people, and now you have upwards of seven thousand, close to eight hundred. They had that one sellout game, Civil War, and that was the first sellout game they've had since two thousand eleven. I could be wrong on that year when Matt and I opened up. Um, also a Civil War, but I think it's already been like. Granted, you know, having Kelly come to this program five years ago and having having a player like Sabrina and having a player like Ruthie, their, their duo ship, and having Maite there, and I think they've already seen the success this year. I think it's already been, I think they can already check it off as a successful year. I don't think it's the cap of the year. I don't think it's the cap of the success that they that they want, but I think it's it won't go down as an unsuccessful year. No matter if they lose the... Final, if they don't make these final four, if they lose elite eight, like I think they can already consider it a success because their program has had reached new heights. Both, you know, look at you look at Maite and Audie, and they've they are what the Renina Ducks in program history. Like, granted, that's just two players out of a team of nine, but like they've had such accolades this season that I don't think should go to waste if they don't make a final four. All right, well. There you have it. I would ask if you guys think they'll make the Final Four, but I'm not going to do that because we don't know who they're playing. That's it's a terrible so question. It's so hypothetical. It's the most hypothetical thing, and this whole podcast has been hypothetical. No, it hasn't. But we had a segment that was hypothetical. What's not hypothetical is hitting that subscribe button and subscribing to the Emerald Podcast Network, wherever you get your podcasts, dailyemerald.com, read some articles, go check out the sidebar that's become a base bar on the bottom of the website since we transitioned on the back end of dailyemerald.com. So check it out. Listen to some more podcasts. Support student journalism. Donate at dailyemerald.com as well. We are 
an independent, student-run newspaper on the campus of the University of Oregon. And we're going to wrap this podcast up for Sierra Webster, Maggie Vanoni, Bryce Stoll, producer Ryan Wynn, I'm Sean Meadow, Oregon Women's Basketball, Pac-12 Tournament Wrap-Up, NCAA Preview to the Preview. We'll be back next week for sure before they do host, I'm confident enough to say that, host the first and second rounds of the NCAA Tournament for the second year in a row. Thanks for listening.